So we, we know that Jesus gave this great commission that he said clearly to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded, uh, commanded you. So he gave us this great commission, and as we've gone through the book of Acts, it's been, I think, painfully clear that this is God's heart. This is what Luke's wanting to record, that the, the gospel's meant to go out. And here's how it goes out by the power of the Spirit. So we, we should know that if we are following Jesus, that part of following Jesus is uh, doing what he calls us to do, making disciples, to be on his mission, to see the gospel go out to more people, to see more people impacted by the love of God in Christ. So that sounds like a pretty simple, pretty obvious thing, but let's be honest, where do you start? I mean, where, where do you do that? It, it, there's so much need, there's so many options. Uh, how, do you, how do you know where you're supposed to go and make disciples? And so really what we're going to do is, as we look at the last part of chapter 15 and the first part of chapter 16, is we're going to talk about some of that. We're going to talk, basically I'm going to give you five basic things that I think we need to do that I think help us to know where we're supposed to go, help us to find the open door that God's calling us to. And hopefully this, this won't be so mysterious after we see this, that it's not as, as mystical as we think. So let's pick it up in verse 30 of chapter 15. It says, So when they, this is speaking of Judas and Silas, were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. Remember, this is the letter that was written by the Jerusalem council about what aspect of the law that the, that the Gentiles have to keep, the Gentile converts have to keep. That letter that spoke of their freedom in Christ. It says, and when they read it, verse 31, they rejoiced over its encouragement. And so basically, um, Judas and Silas, they, they were chosen to take the letter with them, to bear witness to what the apostles said. They go to the Antioch, which is kind of the big missionary church uh, of its day. And as they get there, they share the content of the letter, and everyone's just over the moon. They're, they're just like, oh, this is great news. This is great news. You can, you can imagine these Gentiles who might have been feeling pressured to keep the law, pressured to get circumcised. You can imagine as a, an adult male being pressured to get circumcised. That would be a big deal. I mean, because it wasn't just the pain. It was a, I mean, seriously, the, the people could die from that with infection and stuff. It was a big deal to do something like that. So you can imagine the pressure taken off of them, like, oh, we don't have to get circumcised. We don't have to keep all the dietary laws. Thank God that we're, we're free. We don't have to do these things. And they're rejoicing over the fact that God just simply called them to be separated to him, to... to uh, uh, to not commit sexual immorality, and to not do the kinds of things that would stumble either Gentiles or Jews. And so they're, they're really excited about this. <clears throat> and it says now in verse 32 that Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. In other words, just as the apostles said, we want you to go and bear witness. And so these guys, being prophets, being those who are speaking forth what God has said, uh, they're sharing with these people and encouraging them in that freedom, strengthening them in that freedom. I, I sort of, obviously we don't know for sure what this looks like, but I sort of imagine it as they read the letter, that they say, do you understand what this means? For you, this means this. Boom. And for you, this means this. And they're giving this really specific application as the Holy Spirit's giving them wisdom to do so. And of course, the church is really excited. And so what happens is, verse 33 says, after they stayed there for a time, they sent 
Uh, they were sent back with greetings uh, from the brethren to the apostles so that uh, Antioch Church is going to send them back. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. So he sends Judas by himself. And it says, And Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many also, uh, others also. Now, <clears throat> this could mean when it says many, other also, many others also, it could mean that there are many people that were coming into the Antioch church to hear the teaching. But it also could mean there are many other teachers doing some teaching. So I want you to think about this for a second. You got uh, Silas, who decides to stay there, and he's involved in, in his uh, prophetic ministry. You got Barnabas and Saul. They're staying there. They're teaching and preaching, and potentially other guys teaching and preaching. And this really kind of shows that the, the, what the Antioch church, which was the mission-sending church, this was the church that was sending people out, God was using in a great way in this first century, that their emphasis, their priority was the Word of God. And this, this kind of brings us to the first thing in trying to find the open door and trying to wanting to be open to where God might have us go or what God might have us do with the gospel is that we need to just continue to grow in the truth. We need to continue to grow in the Word of God. I mean, that might sound, well, duh, obvious, but it's amazing how we can get to a place where we go, oh, you know, I kind of heard that before. I, I, John's made that point before. And, oh, yeah, I know that scripture already. Or, and we think, oh, I already know enough. And we treat, this, we treat teaching, we treat the Word of God as just a way to gather information. But it's not. Peter said specifically, remember 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, uh, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have uh, tasted that the Lord is gracious. He says that. So in the same way that a baby is dependent upon its mother's milk, we are dependent upon the nourishment, the spiritual food that we get from the Word. We never outgrow that. We never want to get to a place where we think, oh, I already know enough. We don't. We never do. One of the coolest things that, uh, uh, about our church that I've enjoyed the most over the last couple of years is doing the team teaching, getting to hear other guys teach, getting fed. It's really nice to get fed by someone who's not on the Internet, <laughs> someone who's live in front of me, you know, sitting there listening to someone teach me the Word of God. I love it. It's good stuff. It, it's, it's what causes us to continue to grow. That's got to be there always. So these guys, they're rejoicing in the freedom of the gospel. They're growing in, in their understanding of the gospel. That's what we want to do, too. We want to grow in truth. So what happens next? Verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of God and see how they're doing. So Paul says, You know what? We should go back and just let's do some follow-up on these churches, all these converts and these new, these new converts, the church we planted. Let's go back and do that. So you get this picture that Paul and Barnabas are in agreement here. Yeah, this is a good idea. Let's go kind of retrace our steps and see how these, these guys, these new believers are doing. Now it says in verse 37, now Paul, I'm sorry, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And the contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. Now you guys probably know the story before. You've heard this story before. And we mentioned this earlier in the book of Acts. When, when John Mark departed, we said this is going to be important because he leaves probably from the, just a simple pressure of, of missionary life. And so when they're going to go back through and, and see how these churches are, Barnabas, who happens to be John Mark's cousin, 
and, and, and also is, is this son of encouragement, and says, you know, we should take him with him. Let's take, let's take him with us. Let's let him give, get a chance to kind of see what's going on. And Paul's like, uh, no way. The, the guy bailed halfway through. He, he wasn't faithful the first time. We can't afford to have a guy who's going to flake off again. It's going to not be a good witness. And so this, this, this is Paul and Barnabas. These, these guys are the guys that God's using in a great way. And the, the fight, the battle becomes so serious for them, they actually have to part ways. Now, there's so much speculation. It's amazing that when you study this kind of stuff, how many Bible commentators and Bible teachers want to debate who was right, Paul or Barnabas, you know, as if it really makes a difference. It doesn't really make a difference. I think we'll see in a second that the church seems to be kind of backing up, the church seems to be backing up uh, the Apostle Paul here. But at the same time, we're going to see later on, or you would see later on in the Scriptures, you can look it up in 1 Peter chapter 5 and 2 Timothy chapter 4, where both Peter and Paul will say later on, hey, we need John Mark on our team. He's a good guy. He's, he's useful to us. So you can see Barnabas' heart to invest in this guy and restore this guy was a good heart, and it, it bore fruit. And so I really think they were both right. Paul was right. You can't just be flippant about who you have on the missionary team because it's a lot of pressure to do that kind of work. Barnabas was right. Hey, this guy, he's our brother. He needs to be restored. He's got a call to ministry. Let's restore him. I think they were both right. The point is this, and this is the thing, the second thing that I want you to recognize if we're going to find that open door. You can't quit because of dis- disagreement. You, you can't quit because, well, so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so, and so-and-so doesn't agree with so-and-so. Do you guys, how many of you guys were here a few Sunday nights ago where Adam um, made, was making the, sort of made the point, he started to say, um, the scripture doesn't tell us to pursue spiritual gifts. And I said, oh, actually, I don't know if I agree with that. And he goes, no, that's what it's, this is what it says. And then he pointed out 1 Corinthians 14. Do you guys, do you guys remember that night? Yeah. Did you feel any tension? I felt a little tension. <laughs> and I felt tension because I felt kind of bad because, to be honest, I was thinking I was kind of like coming against him. He's my partner in ministry, but then he had the guts to come back against me, and the truth was he was right. Now, the thing is, some, sometimes people get freaked out by that. Mom and dad are fighting. Oh, no, what's going to happen? You know. But the truth is, the truth is, godly men sometimes disagree. And we can't let that fact, the fact that good guys disagree, keep us from moving forward with the gospel, moving forward in the ministry. Um, we are, are, are when I say we, see we Servants Church, we've just kind of started to join up with Surrey Chapel and Broad Grace. Uh, we've joined up to make this little group uh, that we're calling Equip. And what we're doing is just kind of experimenting about how we can join together as churches to equip the lay leadership in our churches or the people that are serving in our churches. So the first thing we're going to do in November is uh, we're going to do a small seminar on a, on a Tuesday um, just about for home group leaders, for small group leaders, about what does it mean to lead a small group, what are the goals that we should have. Kind of we, four of us are teaching, and we're going to encourage the people from our church to go to other people besides us, and then we'll gather together and, and, and talk some more. So it's a good way to meet other people from other churches, but also to pool resources to equip each other. Now, the truth is, I don't agree with everything that Surrey Chapel believes. Surrey Chapel doesn't believe everything that we believe. I don't believe everything that Broad Grace believes. Broad Grace doesn't believe everything that we believe. But we believe the gospel, and we can be people that love Jesus and still disagree on stuff and still move forward in the gospel. Now, obviously, there's places where we have to draw lines. If people want to believe another gospel, we, we wouldn't fellowship with them. 
But it's important for us to recognize some of the times these things are tough. Sometimes some of the issues in Scripture can be tense. Some of the, sometimes the personal issues, the decisions that we make, are difficult to make. And if we go, oh no, everyone's not all happy and smiley, we just can't go on anymore, we'll never do anything for God. We have to be prepared for this disagreement and not quit just because there is going to be occasional contention. What happens after this, right? They part from one another, verse 39, and it says, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and we never hear from him again until we see what happened with John Mark later on. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So these guys were faithful and disagreed, and we need to be slow to determine who we think is right. We need to understand that God's often using two different people in two different ways. Now, verse 41. And so as he, as Paul, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, they came to, then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was, was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So here we get introduced to Timothy. Timothy, the same guy that Paul wrote two letters to, Okay. And Timothy, we, as we introduced to him, is a guy who has a good reputation as a Jesus follower. Now, most Bible scholars believe that, that uh, Timothy probably became a Christian, possibly, or possibly became a Christian, through Paul's first missionary journey. We know through Paul's letter to Timothy that, of course, uh, Timothy learned the scriptures from his mother and grandmother. Bible is really clear about that. Could be that he was learning the Jewish scriptures, learning to wait for the Messiah, wanting the Messiah. So then, when Paul comes into town with his team, they preach the gospel: the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. That these guys all become Christians. Well, Timothy, in the probably about fourteen years since Paul's been back to this place, Timothy has grown. He was probably a young teenager when he became a Christian, and now he's uh, probably I don't know what, how old he would be at this time. Still, probably pretty young. And, and so what happens is, is that uh, he's got this reputation of being just a really good Jesus follower. So what happens? So Paul, wanting to have him go with him, Paul wants Timothy to go with him on his missionary journey. He took Timothy and circumcised him. And because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, this is interesting. Paul has just... Uh, uh, been, been to Antioch and remember, or actually had left Antioch, gone to Jerusalem and fought with the Judaizers who were insisting that Greek converts needed to be circumcised. He fought that they would have the freedom, right? And they won, right? God made it really clear, no, that's not what needs to happen. Goes back to Antioch, everyone's celebrating, yeah, we're free in Christ, this is great. But then when he gets to Lystra, he gets to Iconium, he thinks, you know, there's a lot of Jews in this region, Timothy, sorry, buddy, you're going to have to get circumcised. Is this hypocrisy? I mean, what's he doing here? First of all, understand that um, that, that Timothy is is uh, he has a Gentile father, but his mother is Jewish. So, from a Jewish perspective, he's Jewish. They consider him Jewish. That's one thing you have to understand. The other thing here is Paul's not saying Timothy has to be circumcised for the sake of salvation or even the sake, the sake of sanctification, being growing in holiness. He's being circumcised for the sake of ministry. He doesn't want to, be, uh, he doesn't want to uh, cause a stumbling block. So he's, he's willing to do something that would not cause the Jews to think, you really weren't, you, you, you were supposed to be this Jewish, uh, raised in, in, in a Jewish faith, and yet you were never circumcised. Something's not right there. 
Uh, and so instead, he said, okay, fine, I'll submit to circumcision for the sake of witnessing to these Jews, for, for, for being a, a good example to these Jews. Now, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, doesn't he? Paul talks about, to the Jew I became a Jew, to the Gentile a Gentile, to those with the law as, as with the law, those without the law as with those without the law. In other words, I became all things to all men that I might win some. This is what Paul's doing. And this is the third thing that we have to do. We have to learn what it means to be all things to all men. Now, that's not always easy. Sometimes it's painful. It's a difficult thing at times that God calls us to let go of things so that we can be a better witness to somebody. Sometimes it's difficult to know when do we, when, when do we walk with somebody uh, in, in something that we, we probably are free to do, but we don't really want to be a part of. And when do we pull off from that thing and say, okay, it's better that I don't do that thing. It's hard to know. That's why I say learn. I'm sure this was difficult for Timothy. I'm sure he was here. He was, I'm guessing, maybe in his mid-20s when this happens. And he's thinking, this is not fun. Am I really sure I'm called to ministry to the Jews, you know? But he submitted to it. He did this. Now, notice what happens, okay? Verse 4, it says, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them to, uh, to them the decrees to keep. That's the letter, remember, the, from the Jerusalem Council. And were determined... By, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So, so Paul has Timothy circumcised so that he has credibility in ministering to the Jews, but he doesn't hold back in saying, yet here's the standard of God. Gentiles don't need to do this. The, the, the gospel is the gospel. It's not the gospel plus circumcision. It's just the gospel. And this is what he preaches. So even though he has Timothy uh, circumcised, he still continues to preach this freedom in Christ uh, wherever he went. So we know for sure that Paul still believed that. This is what I mean by it's, it's really tricky. It's really hard to know, uh, you know, how, how do we do this? How do we not do this? When I was in the States uh, as a young believer, uh, and, and, and back then, 20 years ago, um, it was very rare that you would meet an evangelical Christian who would drink alcohol. It was very rare. They just, they just didn't do it. American Christians just didn't really drink at all. And, um, and I was cool with that because I had become a Christian uh, at 18. You're not supposed to drink legally until you're 21 anyway. So I knew I'd obey the laws of the land, so I couldn't get around it. And so I thought, okay, that's fine. And I, and I, I drank too much before I was a Christian. So it was easy for me to say, okay, I'm going to stop doing that. But I was with uh, my youth pastor once, and he was telling me uh, about this guy he had been trying to witness to when he had gone night fishing. And he's, he's trying to witness to this guy, share Jesus with this guy. And the guy's drinking his beers. And the guy says, you know what? You Christians, you, you're full of it. He says, you, you act like, oh, you're, you're free in Christ. I'm the one having a beer, and you're too afraid to have one. You don't even have the freedom to have one beer with me. And you want to talk to me about how much freedom there is in Christ. And so my youth pastor says, okay, I'll have a beer. And he had a beer with this guy. Now, that doesn't mean much to you guys, but to me, I was like, what? You had a beer with him? Really? And I was like, wow, how do you, how did you do that? And, and he says, he says, well, it always says to be all things to all men. And he says, I, you know, I, I only had the one. I don't really drink very often. He says, but, you know, I wanted to reach this guy where he is at. Now, the guy didn't necessarily get saved that night or anything. But what it did was it took away an excuse from the guy to say, look, I'm free to do this. But also he could say, I'm free to not have any more. I'm free not to do this at all if I don't want to. And, and so I think it's hard to know how do we do this. You know, he was kind of risking 
being a stumbling block to the evangelicals of his day and his, his, his area. At the same time, he was wanting to build a bridge with somebody. How do we do this? We have to learn. We have to say, God, you got to show us when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate. One of the things I've been wrestling with um, uh, is this whole issue of Halloween. Now, I think Halloween is totally pagan and nothing that we wanted our kids to ever celebrate. Still don't want our kids to celebrate. Wouldn't want our future grandkids to celebrate Halloween. But because in America, it was so huge. I mean, we had tons and tons. I mean, the streets were crowded with little kids in costumes walking around getting candy. Before we moved here, if we wouldn't have moved here, I'll put it that way, uh, the plan was, you know, we're going to give away uh, trick-or-treat candy. We're going to do it. We're going to get some little kid gospel tracts. We're going to give away candy, and we're going to use this as a witness and opportunity. Now, I knew that would have caused big problems in our church because they were huge about not celebrating Halloween for good reason. We weren't going to dress up. We were going to just say, oh, here you go, and, and, and just kind of do that with neighborhood kids. And we moved here. Halloween's as big as it's getting, and still we rarely have anybody come around for, for, for trick-or-treat. To me, it doesn't, it's not worth the chance of stumbling somebody by doing that, so we're not going to do that. But this is what I'm trying to say. It's hard to know what to do when, and we need to learn. We need to say, God, what would you have us do? What would you have us do? How would you have us learn to be all things to all men. This is how we know what open doors we can find as well. There's certain people we just couldn't minister to. We wouldn't have the freedom of conscience to go do that. Does that make sense? You guys follow me on that? Paul had this freedom of conscience. Obviously, Timothy had this freedom of conscience, and this is what they did. So, verse 6, chapter 16. Now, when they had gone through uh, Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Messiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit would not permit them. So passing by Messiah, uh, Messiah, sorry, they came down to Troas. Now, do you guys find that interesting? Do you find it interesting that the Spirit of God would say, don't preach the gospel here? Or the Spirit of God would say, you can't go there with the gospel? Now, I, I remember for years reading this thinking, that doesn't compute with me. Why would, why would the Holy Spirit ever say, don't preach the gospel in a place? Um, but I had this experience before I moved to England. Uh, when we knew God was calling us out of youth ministry, into church planting somewhere. I was offered a, uh, to take over a very small church in the state of Michigan, in the U.S., in a beautiful little town. Great place to raise kids. There was financial support, which is pretty rare for church planting. Uh, in the UK, I mean in the US. And so it was a really ideal situation. I really wanted to do it, but I had promised this guy named Brian Brotherson that I'd visit England with him. And so I knew I couldn't tell these people yes. In fact, I went, I went to Michigan. I preached twice for them. They said, we're not going to offer the job to anybody else. The job is yours. We want you to have this. And I'm all, oh, I'd say yes, but I can't. I need to go to England first. I said, okay. And so I went to England, I came, I, I saw that there was a need here, I recognized that the, the presence of, of evangelical believers was very small, uh, so I saw the need, but I thought, I, I don't want to go there, I want to go to Michigan. And, and when I was coming back and wrestling about England, I, I sensed God forbidding me. I, I experienced this, where I sensed God saying, you are not to go to Michigan. That is, you are not to go there. The, the same kind of conviction as you might have if you're going to go do something really bad. You know, like you are not to do that. You know what I'm talking about, that conviction? It was that strong of a conviction. You are not to go to Michigan. 
And so uh, I didn't go. I called the guy up and said, I really apologize, but I can't take the job. And he says, you know, I, I felt like God already told me that you were going to be in a big city anyway. And then we ended up being in London. But the, the thing is, there's times when God says, look, I don't want you to go. But I, I, here, here's what I want you to notice what these guys are doing. They are going. They are seeking to reach people. They're seeking to bring the gospel out. And then God says, no, not there. Now, here's what we tend to do. God, what do you want me to do? Where should I go, God? And we kind of wait. I don't hear anything. I guess God doesn't want me to go anywhere. <laughs> That's not the way it's going to work. If we are going, we go and we let the Spirit say no. We go and we let the Spirit say no. We move forward and say, okay, I think. So in other words, let me, let me put it this way. Wherever you work, whatever classes you have in school, that is your mission field. So you assume God wants you to share with someone there. And so you pray, God, who do you want me to share with? And you let the Lord say no if he doesn't want you to share with a person. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. Obviously, I'm talking about using wisdom in this, in this but this is the, the, the point. We, and this is the, the fourth thing I want us to know. We need to let God choose where we should be. Let God choose where we should be. Because look what happens next. Okay, so they're in Troas, and as they're in Troas, verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And now after that, he had seen the vision, immediately notice, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So from that, we think at Troas is when Luke joins Paul's team. Now, here's what's cool. Paul's thinking, okay, I know God's calling us to go out, so let's go preach the gospel um, in Asia. Holy Spirit says, no, not there. Okay, not there. Okay, how about uh, Messiah, or however you pronounce that? Or how about Bithynia? No, Spirit says you can't go there. All right, all right, we're down in Troas. Let's spend the night and see what happens. And as what happens, Paul gets this vision, and God speaks and says, you know, basically here's this vision of this Macedonian man saying, come help us. The point is this, be open how God might speak. I'm not saying that God's going to give you a vision of the person in your biology class, and that's who you're supposed to share with or something, okay? What I'm saying is, is that be open to how God might speak. I mean, sometimes it's very subtle when God says, go talk to that person, or go offer that person a cup of coffee. And you never know what kind of bridge is about to be built. Again, you know, the, Rob Dingman, who was here last week, he, he loves to say, uh, there's three voices in my head. One's God, or he says, one's the spirit, one's the devil, and one's me. But the problem is they all sound like me, you know? So sometimes it's hard to know. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, take a chance. If you're feeling like maybe we should go do something nice for somebody in the name of Jesus, go do it and see what God does. Be open to how you might speak. You never know if it might open the door. What's the worst thing that can happen? You say, hey, did you, I got the soda, did you want this? And they go, no, psycho, go away from me. That's the worst thing that's going to happen. So you go, okay, sorry, I feel stupid, you know? I mean, really, what's the worst that can happen if, if you do that? Probably nothing too bad nowadays. But be open to how God might speak and say, here's where I want you to go, or here's the person I want you to share with. I think sometimes we're, we're afraid to step out so we don't do anything. Well, let's, let's step out. Yeah, you're going to get it wrong sometimes, but you know what? This is how God begins to lead. So God gave Paul this radical vision, this radical uh, vision of of a man of Macedonia. So what happens? So therefore, verse 11, they, they felt like, okay, this is what God wants us to do. We're concluding this is what God wants us to do. And so they, they sailing from Taraz. It says, we ran a straight course to 
uh, Samanthras, and the next day to uh, Neapolis, um, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city in that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Now, do you notice what they do? They get this call to go to Macedonia, so they go to the principal city in that part of Macedonia to Philippi, and what do they do? Nothing. They stay there. Okay, here we are. Wait and see what God wants us to do. Sometimes the way we find out where God wants us to be is to not leave where we are. We stay put. I I tend to get itching feet about every, I don't know, five or six years. I think, what's God want me to do next? You know, where am I going to go next, right? And it's Sarah who says, we're not going to go anywhere. We can just stay right here. This is where God wants us to be, just settle, you know. And the thing is, sometimes the best thing to do is just to stay put until God says, it's time to go. Until God makes it clear, it's time to go. Well, these guys, they, they get to this place. They, they know there's this call. They, they wait there for a few days. And what happens? Verse 13. And when the Sabbath day, and on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city, uh, to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women, the women who met there. Now, the fact that they're meeting at a riverside, and these are, these are Jewish women they're meeting with, uh, the fact that they're meeting at the riverside with these women means there wasn't enough men in that city to have a synagogue. I think you needed, I want to say you needed, I want to say seven men, but it might be more than that. There's a certain amount of Jewish men you needed to have before they would build you a synagogue, and you'd have synagogue services. There wasn't enough Jewish men to actually have a synagogue there, but there was enough uh, believing uh, women, at least, and, and maybe Gentile converts, that they would go by the riverside and they'd pray to God. So that's where they are. And so it says, so now a certain woman, verse 14, named Lydia, heard us. And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. Now, she's sort of like Cornelius was. She had a faith in the God of the Bible. Uh, She recognized the moral superiority of Yahweh and what he said and what he did. And so she worshipped him. That was the God that she worshipped was Yahweh. And it says, and the Lord, notice, opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now, notice this, this scene. Paul, they, 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 they feel his call to Macedonia, and the call was a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. So they get to Macedonia. They kind of wait for a while. There's no synagogue there for the going, which is what they normally do. So they go to the riverside where the women are praying. They begin to talk to the Jewish women that are probably there. And what happens? Who, who, whose heart does God open up? The Gentile woman. And the, the point is, God often uses uh, us in unexpected ways. These guys were in a place where they're thinking, okay, we usually go in the cities, we find the synagogue, we share at the synagogue, the door opens, we give the gospel, and that's how God saves people. Well, God called us to go tell a man from Macedonia, where's this man from Macedonia? Well, it was a woman from Thyatira that they actually met. It's funny how God does that. God will give us this direction just to get us moving, and then once we get moving, then he says, here's what you're actually going to do. Now, we're almost done. It says, And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, and if you think I'm really a believer, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. Interesting, because um, the word persuaded means to force contrary to nature. These guys really are thinking, we're not sure what we need to do here. This is the fifth thing, okay? If we're going to be find that open door we got to trust it's God who's going to open people's hearts. 
Oftentimes we have in our mind, here's the kind of person I'll be able to reach. Here's the kind of person I'll be able to share Jesus with. This is the right kind of person. And yet God wants to use us with people that we never would have thought God would have used us with. Never. He wants to use us in ways that, that we were never expecting. Why? Because it's him who has to open people's hearts in the first place. And we got to believe as we're just going out, as we're, go, okay, Lord, we're trying to just be on the way. We're just trying to be obedient to the, to the Great Commission. You're going to open people's hearts. You're going to do that. And you never know who it's going to be. So those are the five things. I'll just repeat them really quick in case you're taking notes. If we're going to find the open door, we need to grow in the truth. We need to make sure that we don't quit because of discouragement. We need to learn to be all things to all men. We need to let God choose where we should be. And we need to trust God to open hearts.